Hello, and welcome to episode one, two, three of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, September 1st, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? I love September. It's my favorite. Well, that's not true. It's the start of my favorite season, which is Ah. all of fall. And then we roll into my second favorite season, which is cold. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty chilly today. I love it. It's so good. I feel very energized. I love it. Excellent. I'm not going to lie. I was enjoying when we had the sunshine. Nope. No, thank you. I did. I could have rosé without feeling ridiculous. (laughs) Maybe a little Aperol spritz. It's delightful. We do occasionally have nice weather, Uh, but not today. Not today. But yeah, this this kind of marks the changing of a season as well. This is our final bingo episode. But before that, we will have On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, and On the Nightstand. And then, yeah, we'll see where everyone is for the bingo. Actually, I mean, that's not entirely true. We will probably do a little bit of a wrap up to our final because we do still have the weekend right. to finish some things, which I need to, <laughs> I still need to do. We'll hear about that next time, but you stay tuned. At the end, we will be having the prize draw and find out who all our winners are. Thank you in advance, sort of, and to everyone who jumped in. I loved getting little tags from people on Instagram about what you were doing, and Monica has been very good about looking through the hashtag and making sure we've got everybody accounted for. She's she's the business end of this, clearly. <laughs> and I'm just like painting birds and... <laughs> Very valuable mm-hmm. contribution yes, as totally. well. But it, it has been really fun. I guess this isn't exactly when we're supposed to be talking about it, but I'm going to say it anyway, because looking through a lot of the posts, and it's been really nice. Uh, a lot of you have mentioned how some of the things were, you know, things you were going to do anyway, but a lot of them you did have to, to work to figure out what you were going to do and challenge yourself. And that is the whole reason why we do it for ourselves. <laughs> so right. it's nice that, that a lot of you have found that to be fun and useful in the same way. I don't know if I want it to be useful. You know, it sounds very capitalistic, but, you know, it is good to challenge yourself every once in a while, I think, and you get out of your the usual and do something new. So... Yeah. All right. On the needles, can I do a little bit of events talk first? Because there's a whole bunch of knit-alongs coming up. Yeah. Dive in. I have oh. I have stuff too. Excellent. Not for knitting, but for art oh, events. Cool. All right. And we had talked about this last time. The West Knits Mystery Shawl knit-along is happening. I think tomorrow, it's either today or tomorrow, the kits go up. Dyers can release kits that you can buy pattern maybe you can sign up for as well it's very soon and i was really tempted because steven had some of the kits that his store will be selling and it's a gradient they're all gradients it's a gradient shawl i don't know what it is but some of those kits were amazing and i was really thinking hard and then i said no i (laughs) no (laughs) just no there will always be gradient kits that i can go buy later and i don't need a giant schlanket in my life right now. I've got plenty of other things that I really want to knit and plenty of yarn that I have I have bought for kits and things. So, but um, you might want to do it and share it and then I can live vicariously through you. That would be nice. And then also Imagine Landscape just released 
information about her December countdown gnome along that will be happening again for the next few days. You can buy a kit or yarn on Loopy U. They have a whole countdown kit with yarn and trinkets and just fun stuff to play along with. I think the signups for the actual knit along don't start until maybe November 1st, and then other dyers will release the yarn as well. So there's lots of time and options for that. But if you wanted to get the whole official kit and countdown goodies, now is the time to get in on that. And I'll, I'll definitely be doing the knit along. I haven't decided if I'm going to, to buy yarn or not. And then if you are sad about the end of bingo, Downseller Studio Pigskin Party is starting on September 7th, which is a five-month knit-along during the football season. You don't need to know anything about football. Mostly it's just knitting and you get points and then you can enter to win fabulous prizes. Uh, so it's great. And it's a really fun community. There's the big knit-along, but then there's kind of monthly challenges and they've come up with some other fun adventures this time. So that is a really fun fiber event that I know a lot of you already are planning on doing that. I've seen you over on those those Ravelry boards. But if you have not checked it out, that might be a fun one to check out. It's very low key. You can take it super intense or just knit something here and there as you as you feel like it and, and see what happens because there's always, you know, you just takes one entry to win. You don't need a lot. So I'm looking forward to that. That's always a good time. Yeah. Okay. So my actual knitting I have two finished objects, which it feels like it's been a while since I've had. A pause track. Yay! Feels like it's been a little while. So the first one, my Slockhead Slouch Hat by Kelly McClure. This is the birthday gift in the yarn from Swoonish slash the yarn side. My label says the yarn side. Ravelry says it's called Swoonish. Either way, I think she's gone out of business by now. But it's this beautiful yarn from 2010 called Road to Home. And it's this chocolate and mustard yellow and dark burgundy. It knit up so beautifully. I was kind of worried about when I got to the stock and neck portion of this hat because it has a really big ribbing section. And then you just knit and stock and net for a very long time and then turn it into a hat. And so it's very slouchy and fun and easy and great for using up special skeins of sock yarn. But I was worried sometimes when you get to the stockinette portion, you start to see more pooling. This one just, it's practically stripes. It's just so cool. It's very fall looking. I'm very pleased with the project. And apparently a lot of other people are. There are over 28,000 projects using this pattern in Ravelry. So very easy. I think it's a free pattern as well. Definitely something to check out. And I posted a picture of that on Ravelry and hopefully the birthday girl will like it. And then I finished my dark academia sweater. Yay me. I'm so excited. It looks so pretty. If I say so myself. It's beautiful. I will try and get a modeled photo to show it off at some point. I sat down and focused a little bit. Once I finished the first sleeve, then I kind of, you know, knew how the second sleeve was going to work. So that always goes a little bit more quickly. Pattern by Sharon Hartley, yarn in Porter Wool Company figuring in Huntress, which is the beautiful, gorgeous forest green, and Serendipidae Coastside in Blossom, which is the lovely peachy pink. It's just, I'm so excited. I don't, I don't think it's quite cold enough to wear today, but someday soon. The colors are beautiful. It was our last stitches. I know. So it's very symbolic. Yeah. The pattern is extraordinary. It and is. you're such a terrific knitter 
that it looks amazing. Thanks. Win, 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 win. That was great. Yeah. I mean, I have you to thank for the colors because you did help with the color picking out. Very important. The pattern is pretty incredible. It kept your interest because you wanted to keep going. Just do one more row, one more row. It's, ah, it's just, it's amazing. I'm very excited about it. It was one of those patterns where I saw and I was like, oh, I want to do it. And I had a plan and it actually worked out, which is really exciting. But because it is the color work, it is kind of a double thick. You've got the two things of yarn going back and forth, so it is a little bit warmer than your usual fingering weight sweater. So I will probably have to wait a little bit to wear it. It's very cool, though. I finished that, and I immediately had to cast on a new sweater, because that's how it works. And I chose the coloring book Raglan by Amy Scher. And this is using more yarn that we got at Stitches, the most recent one. Yeah. Awesome. So very Ooh, that exciting. That was loud. Awesome. <laughs> Very exciting, except that one of my goals for this year was to knit, I think, three sweaters using yarn from before 2022. <laughs> and I have, I think, basically just used yarn from 2022. <laughs> or no, 2023. So that goal isn't happening. But I, I haven't actually knit that many sweaters. So anyway, so that was part of the reason why I picked this one is because it is pretty much stockinette in worsted weight wool, got three quarter length sleeves. And it's cropped, so I thought it would go pretty quickly. The yarn is very cool. We saw a sample of the sweater at their booth. That's why we picked it out. So it's Loop Fiber Studio Yin Yang. And they have this whole series of yarn where it's barber pulled. So it's a main color and then a thin stripe of a contrast color. And then they have a matching skein where it's flipped. So the ones I have are, well, they're called Once and For All. So it's, one skein is called Once, one is called For All. My main color is, I can't tell if it's black or really, really dark navy or really, really dark charcoal. It's very dark, though. Essentially black with a really, with like a bright electric blue barber pole and then flipped. So mostly electric blue, not electric bright aqua yarn with a dark stripe of the black navy charcoal <laughs> running through it. And they had like a pink and beige one. They had an orange and beige. I forget. It was probably a green or something as well. Lots of cool options. And the, the pink and beige was my favorite. Yeah, that was really cool. It was a it was like a, a neon pink, though. I felt like it might have been a little bit much for me. Yeah, but it was beautiful. It was really, yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> so the sweater has uh, three quarter length sleeves, and I think they kind of are a little bit belled out. And then it's just pretty much straight, a little bit cropped. And then there are options. Well, there are op there are two main options, and that's the one I'm doing. And then it will also have stripes along the body. So that's the main. Most of the sweater will be the the darker skein, and then the bright blue stripes will be along the bottom and they also have full length sleeve versions and a longer or more traditional length sweater and some other stripe where like you can just do the stripes along the edge of the ribbing which is less exciting so i'm going with the the big stripes and i actually did a gauge swatch this time <gasps> it's been a little while but i realized i was right on the edge of yarn numbers I'm not quite sure what i was thinking i thought i bought extra yarns so that i would had up enough to make the longer version. I'm, I don't know what numbers I was looking at when I did my shopping, but I'm right on the edge. So 
I have learned my lesson a little bit, sort of. So I actually did a swatch. And I had to go down two needle sizes, which is actually not unheard of for me. So I am, I mean, it's a raglan sweater, so I'm working away on my raglan shaping. I think I have five to ten more increases to do. So I'm, I'm getting to the sleeve split, and then it'll just be some fun striping, and then going back to do the sleeves. I might do the sleeves first. I have to decide if I am more concerned about having enough yarn for body length or sleeve length. Probably body length. Although if you do the sleeves, that affects the way the whole thing hangs and... Yeah, so we will see what happens. Hopefully I'll just have plenty of yarn and it'll all be no problem whatsoever. But it's knitting up really nicely. The fabric is great. I'm very excited. And hopefully it will go nice and quickly. I don't have a lot of other things I'm working on. I still have my vanilla is the new black socks in the Knitpicks Felici Beyond the Wall that I don't think I actually worked on at all this past two weeks. It's in the, the gray and the aqua stripes. I've done some work on my Rome shawl, which is the assigned pooling, which I am getting to the end of the first skein, so I still have a ways to go. And it is nice. She just released an update that gives you pattern instructions based on the weight of the yarn. So like when you get to this many grams left, then you start your edging instead of do this many repeats, which depending on your yarn could mess you up. And then you'd run out of yarn, which would be not good. So I'm working on those off and on, but I do feel like I'll be able to focus on this sweater and get it done in a timely manner. And so that's my knitting. I don't have knitting, but I do have a little sewing, which cool. falls under the needles. It does. Sort of. I have this old new, it's a L.L. Bean vest that I got ages ago. I think before I got pregnant with one of the kids. And so it went into a bin. Now it doesn't quite so much fit. It's a little bit snug, but it's basically new. The color is great. It's like a gorgeous chocolate brown. The shoulders still fit me really well. And I just want like a little bit of room down the sides. And I had a vest that had stretch fabric, like a performance fleece or something on the side panels of the vest. And I thought, I'll just add side panels to this kind of too small vest and make it work for now. And I looked all over for the ribbing material that you can buy. It's like what you would make cuffs out of or whatever on a sweatshirt. And I found a couple big pieces that would go from the underarm down to the top of the hip where the vest ends, except that it wasn't quite brown enough. It wasn't dark enough. I was talking to the women in the shop and they were, and I said, well, I could just dye it. So I brought bought some brown dye that I thought was appropriate for the the fabric, which maybe is a nylon, not quite sure. So I buy the material. I bought extra so that I could have some wiggle room. And I finally, this week, was like, I'm totally going to dye that fabric so that I can get it into this vest so, so that I can wear it. And I'm super excited for this. And I spend half the day trying to dye the nylon rib knit panels and it's made for outerwear so it's really thick nylon so every time that I'm like I'm doing this on my stovetop it is like chocolate brown dye I'm trying not to get it onto anything or in my sink oh my gosh and I kept 
pulling apart the rib knit a little bit to get the dye in there and agitating it. And it was hot as heck outside. And oh my gosh, this is just the whole thing. Finally, it's done its cooking. It looks great wet. It looks great. I had to clean my sink like 17 times because it's brown dye. Thank goodness for like barkeeper's friend. I think that's ultimately what did the trick. And then I was so excited. I put the piece of fabric outside to dry because I didn't want to put it on anything because even though I had rinsed it out, I thought for sure it was going to leach onto something else. And I went out the next morning and it was completely splotchy. Like it was so weird. Just I can't, I don't know what I did wrong. I think it was probably the fabric content just didn't really absorb the dye like I thought it would. I don't know where the dye went. (laughs) Do you think it was when you were dyeing it or did like something drip on it while it was outside over? Was it outside? Yeah, it was outside. But no, it was under a, it was so hot. There's, Um. we had no precipitation that night. I don't, I'm pretty sure that it just didn't take like I thought it took. Mm. So my next plan is to thrift something brown and stretchy, like an old, heavy brown and something with, you know, if I have to dye something, I'm going to go with natural fibers because I know how they'll, I, I don't think I've ever dyed anything synthetic before. And I think that was my problem. Stay tuned for the L.L. Bean chocolate brown vest. I'm committed to making this happen, even if I have to. And you want it to be brown. I mean, I guess it doesn't really, the color, it's not so much the color as the the fabric that was the issue. It was just a weird splotchy brown. Like if it had been slightly off, I would have just done it, gone ahead with it and done it because it's like that vest Uh kind of silky synthetic material anyway. So I didn't think that, I don't know, I thought it would work. So that was the the needles portion on the easel. Oh my gosh, so much to tell you about. Excellent. I am now a paleontologist. Of course you are. I don't know what happened. It's like birds. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. I have been painting and drawing lots of florals. I've been buying these bouquets or like building these bouquets at my house and putting them into a clear vase and then trying out different still life things with the flowers. And the one that I did this week had a Brachiosaurus show up and that's what felt right. And so I painted it. And now I'm like, I could do more dinosaurs. And so here's the dilemma with the dinosaur stuff and being a middle-aged artist is that when you search dinosaurs, you get kid dinosaur stuff or you get paleontologist dinosaur stuff. There's no, what would be middle of the road dinosaur stuff, you know? Yeah. There's those two fervent normal people. Yeah, normal people, dinosaur stuff. So that's been a little bit challenging, but I have found some great podcasts. I ordered... If, if you've been here a while, you know that I go through these phases. Monica is like completely non-pulsed by this whole thing because she's seen it a hundred times before. So here I have been sketching, drawing, painting, making notes about other dinosaurs and what would work in the Florosaurus <laughs> environment. And this is what happens to me 
it's actually the best feeling because it makes me feel very energized. And then I go down these rabbit holes and I produce some really interesting, weird art. And that's what's happening. I mean, dinosaurs and teacups would be amazing. That's great. One thing that I didn't realize about dinosaurs, and then I promise I'll pivot. There's like new dinosaur news all the time. It's, you know, it's been a minute, but they keep discovering new things or or, you know, changing their mind about what they thought something was. And so I basically have all of recorded history to catch up on dinosaurs. Wish me luck. You need to go to Chicago to the field, the field museum. museum. I That's what I said to my husband. Like, when do you go back to Chicago? He was just there last week. I said, when do you go back? And he said, why would you like to come? And I said, well, I'd like to fly to Chicago with you. And then you can go do your thing. And I'll meet you three days later. And he was like, well, gee, thanks. Okay. I'm also doing a whole bunch of tattoos again. I guess it's tattoo cool. season. Really excited about how those are coming. There's some handwriting going into them, which is always super fun for me and crazy that somebody wants my handwriting permanently on their body. So I've got a couple tattoos going on. I've got a dog portrait, super cute dog. And then I'm still, I still haven't jumped into Nathan's big painting. So I mentioned this, I think before our Switzerland trip that my big kid, he's commissioned a painting. I see this as an opportunity to go really big, which now that I'm doing all the dinosaurs, I wonder I wonder if he's got a favorite dinosaur. I haven't jumped into his painting yet because I see it as super detailed, but I think that would be good for me to get the ball rolling on. Mm-hmm. There are some art events that I should tell you about. September, it starts a lot of the draw along lists and that kind of thing for fall. My accountability partner for my art stuff, Daria, she mentioned that Ello Lovey has a great list of September prompts. And then Furry Little Peach does Peachtober. And that list is awesome. And this is all to get everyone up and running for Gwashvember. Because yes, it's back. I'm helping to co-host this year. Gwashvember is a daily... Gwashalong. Gwashalong where we paint things in gouache. I normally do design gouache. Daria does acrylic gouache. Not that that matters. You know, you could do it in any medium that you want. But we are getting ready for that very exciting daily painting practice. Yeah, that's what's going on on the easel all of a sudden. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it felt like once the kids shifted back into their schedules and I got that vest dyeing project out of my system, then I could focus on, (laughs) okay, what are we painting? Although the Florasaurus stuff is in the background podcasts and I was so disappointed in us because we had no longer kept all of the dinosaur dictionaries that the kids had when they were little. Yeah. Yeah, they are a little bit past that. I mean, I guess they could have circled back and become paleontologists, but none of them seem to be going that direction. No, no. It's rude of them. Completely. take that into consideration. But you went through the Badlands, and they found lots of dinosaur bones in the Badlands. Yeah, no, they have a like a walk where you can go see, I think they have fake skeletons, <laughs> is that what we call them? Fossils. Fossils, yeah, because they've done a lot of work there. <clears throat> and I guess they used to have a, 
you could go see one of the sites, but I don't think they're working at that anymore. Cool stuff. Yeah, you could go there too. I could. I could also go over to Cal Academy where they have uh, yeah. some bones for me to look at. Um, Didn't they do it? They did an exhibit a few years ago mm-hmm. on dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, an excuse to go to Chicago is not a bad thing. No. And I do, I, I am very, very much aware of the connection between the birds and the dinosaurs. When I was a kid, nobody talked about dinosaurs and feathers, or if they did, they weren't talking to me about it. No, I don't think so. And so I didn't make that connection until maybe our kids were little. And now it's even more exciting to me because I'm so fascinated with birds. And what's 65 million years amongst friends? Exactly. All right. On the table. A little bit of a struggle because I've been cooking a lot from Veg Forward, which we'll be talking about next time. Yes, thank goodness, because I had a couple of really, really big hits and I really wanted to talk about them, but I will wait until our next recording session. But I have been getting some good recipes from the Love and Lemons Real Simple Food, Real Good Something, something, something like that. The one that Kelly talked about that she bought and I got from the library. Two really good soups. And there's a lot of other items in there that I've, you know, been pondering and I haven't quite gotten to yet. The first one was the lemongrass coconut corn bisque. And this was from a soup page that was like the salad page that I talked about last time, where she has kind of a basic starter recipe of onions and garlic and whatnot, and then different mix-ins, you know, just to get you thinking about how do we create soup. And this one was obviously had lemongrass in it, which is not something I usually cook with, and coconut milk, which I do like, but I don't usually put in soups. Fresh corn. It was a delightful combo, that little little Thai flavor, just, you know, a little different. Still trying to work through all of my corn deliveries in my produce box. So this was a really fun way to do it. And the people seemed to like it. And the other one I made was a tahini chickpea soup, which Kelly had noticed when she first got it. And it did look really tasty. So I ended up making it. Obviously has some tahini in there and chickpeas, but also spinach and dill. And you probably finish it with lemon and whatnot. So again, really tasty. I think this one my husband really liked. The tahini just gives it that little something different. You know how I like that. So that was a good flavor. And super easy. I did have a bag of Rancho Gordo chickpeas that I cooked up. But obviously you could just use canned ones to make it super fast and easy. It's fall. So yeah, I'll definitely be getting back into my, my soup making. I was doing that a lot last year. So I'm looking forward to that. And then Smitten Kitchen had a recipe for a pesto potato salad with green beans. I can't remember if this was in her newsletter or I just found it somewhere. I assume it was in her newsletter because that's how I usually come across things of hers. So it's pretty much what it says. It's potato salad, but instead of your traditional mayonnaise-based dressing, you're doing it with pesto. And then you add in... Green beans, yeah. So how delicious does that sound? And I had potatoes and green beans in my produce box. She gives you a recipe for making your own pesto and she really recommends it. And I totally respect that. And I said, "Ah, I don't have the energy to do that tonight. And I've got half a jar of pesto sitting in my fridge from pasta night. So I'm just going with that. And it was, you know, delicious. I'm sure it'd be more amazing with fresh homemade stuff, but this was fine. I really enjoyed it. It was a great way to 
combine everything and uh, get the kid to eat green beans. I mean, he he will, but I think he enjoyed them a little more. So that was, yeah, that was another good one. How about you? Great. Well, we're still reminiscing about some of the food that we ate while traveling. And we made a simple rosti mm, that yeah. it's basically a potato pancake. Delicious. Full stop. I grated it with the food processor. I did them small so that they would cook a little faster because mm. I think it takes a while to cook like a whole big giant potato pancake. So the small ones were a complete win. I ate mine with a little sour cream and Malden salt. Perfect. Beautiful. We also, we had a, we had a lot of pork schnitzel while we were there and I tried to we tried to get the sometimes at Costco you can get very thinly sliced mm. pork and then you can sort of make it into your own schnitzel. We got s- pork chops and I stuffed them instead. Ooh. And I have to say they were pretty excellent and I felt like we could portion them out It worked beautifully. I stuffed them with just my own mix of like um, a little bit of breadcrumb, Parmesan cheese, some mustard, tons of herbs, butterflied, and then folded back over. And the only thing that I really had to do was hit them under the broiler a little bit to sort of caramelize everything. Mm -hmm. The guys loved it. So that was a very easy one that I can repeat. I also saw when I was out and about one day, these really beautiful cream cheese cookies. And I thought that it sounded like something we had seen in Romania. I have since gotten a Romanian cookbook, which is amazing. Oh, is that one of the ones from the library? It is. And I loved it so much that I now own a copy because I was so into it. So it feels like a belated souvenir. It's called Tava, in case people are interested in looking that up. But before I had this beautiful cookbook in my hands, I was sort of inspired. I put together this cream cheese cookie recipe. It called for tons of lemon, and I thought it would be like like a lemon cheesecake. It was so boring. It needed like 17 times more lemon. It needed... It needed a giant kick in the pants. So they just sat forlorn on the counter. And that's when I know something is a total fail because nobody ate them. Wow. Yeah. They I mean, were they're just, cookies. How bad can they be? They were just really boring. Oh, maybe you should have put a lemon glaze on them. That's absolutely what they needed. Plus yeah, yeah. so much more. But to try and rescue them in the... Yeah. My big success from this week's cooking, though, was this rice salad that I came across my America's Test Kitchen vegetarian cookbook, which had a lot of variations. And so this particular one called for jicama and pineapple and cilantro and feta. I think that was the mix up. And I went to the market to buy myself a jicama. I'm the only one in my house who likes it. What's not to like? It's a texture thing for Uh, them. It was the size of my head, the one in the store. Well, they had three or four that were just huge. I made an executive decision that I didn't want to eat that much jicama this week. And so I looked for substitutions and they recommended a sweet potato, 
which isn't the same texture wise. It's like, I think a better texture sub would have been water chestnut. Yeah. But sweetness. nutritionally, the sweet potato has a little bit more oomph. And since it was a vegetarian recipe, I wanted to veer on that side of things. So I built this in the morning one day and I thought, well, I'll have it for, for lunch and then we can eat it again for dinner instead of my temple lunch being leftovers from the night before or something like that. And so I put together the salad. I cut up all of the like Persian cucumber and the, I slightly overcooked the potato by accident. I had all kinds of stuff for this salad, the pineapple. It was so great to have this beautiful lunch for myself, a very good reminder that while I'm, you know, easing into my paleontology degree, that it's important to fuel the brain while I'm learning all of this new information. (laughs) And so that was, that was my favorite of all of my, well, the Rosti was pretty good too, but the rice salad, it was a fun lunch. It made for a good dinner because it was so hot that I didn't have to cook anything. I just pulled it out of the fridge and we kind of ate at room temp. That was a success. And then for one of my last bingo squares, I pickled a whole bunch of bell peppers, red and orange and yellow ones. It was from the America's Test Kitchen pickling cookbook. They are very pickly, like total screw to the jaw. You know, that like very, very sour hits all of the taste buds and then some. I don't know how I can fix that. Maybe a pinch of sugar into it or maybe a little honey or maple syrup. They're very sour. Like I can feel them even talking <laughs> about it. But the they really did did maintain their color and they stayed really crisp. So I feel like that's a huge success, especially for bell peppers, which can tend to soften. So I'm really thrilled about that. And they looked beautiful in the jar, which is always a win. Excellent deliciousness. Yeah, it's nice to kind of sort of be getting back in a routine. We haven't started all of our activities, but we're we're getting there. Getting there. And so I'm and some things have changed, so I'm kind of having to rearrange my how I think about my my meal planning, which is kind of interesting. So we'll see what happens as we continue on in the fall. But for now on the nightstand, yeah, I was not back in a routine with the reading. I was all over the place, which usually stuff comes in from the library. I'm excited to read it. I read it. I move on with my life. I could not settle on books. It was like I didn't know what I wanted to read. I had books that I had put down that I marked did not finish in Goodreads. And then I brought it back. I was reading two books at once, which I never do. I mean, except for, I guess I have three because I had my audio book going as well. But like reading, reading two books, it was just... It was a mess, people. I don't know what's going on. Hopefully things will settle down. It was that super blue moon. That must be it. (laughs) Something. I don't know. And then, yeah, we got the fall book preview coming out soon. All those fall books. There's a lot of things. It's, yeah, hopefully I will (laughs) get it all together. But anyway, books. First up, The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post by Alison Pataki. This is one of those fictional memoirs, which I think I've decided is generally not my kind of book. I... Like the writing usually feels weird to me, like slightly off, but the lives that they talk about are usually so fascinating that I 
keep getting sucked into them. And that is what happened with this. So Marjorie Post was born in the late 1800s. She grew up in Battle Creek, Michigan, and her dad founded the Post Cereal Company and invented grape nuts. And so by the time... I used to love grape nuts. Do you like grape nuts? Uh, they're fine. Oh, I really, really yeah. thought they were great. According to this book, she had them every day for breakfast. She was really into them. So when he died, when she was 25, she became the richest woman in America. So she went from kind of normal childhood to crazy pants wealth. She had four husbands and four divorces. She really liked building houses, including Mar-a-Lago, a little place in Florida you may have heard of. She liked collecting jewelry. She was into gardening. Her third husband was the uh, ambassador to Russia in the late 30s. So she was... This is just... It's made for TV. It is. So she was living in Moscow when the Soviets were trying to raise money by selling off all the jewelry and stuff from the czars by rubles per pound. So like diamonds being sold by weight. Like this weighs half a pound. That's half a ruble. <laughs> I mean, this is, I, I think it's more or less true. That's how they were describing it in the book. So she came home with stuff. Cause like she could, by i think she had already bought marie antoinette's diamonds at some point just at the normal price so she was like uh yes paintings silverware you know just everything treasures of the russian czardom i mean craziness but she was also super into philanthropy gave away a ton of money she during world war one financed a field hospital in france she founded hospitals all over the place lots of the arts venues in dc are thanks to her just an amazing life i'm i'm impatient and looking at her jewelry collection online while you're talking about this and we are not talking about you know a bespoke little brooch we oh, are no. talking about a like jaw-dropping yeah. royal tiaras and mega necklaces and yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's epic yeah she had she had some money. And she did also end up getting to run General Foods. She was sort of a, a silent partner for a long time because women couldn't be on the board. And so she just sent her her husband of the moment to run things with varying levels of success. But eventually they let her be the on the board. So and she apparently did a great job. She was responsible for bringing in like bird's eye foods and basically changing the way food in America was nobody thought frozen foods would be a thing because who wants to buy a fridge or a freezer but apparently that would be everybody well she's been to russia so she knows where else would you keep your vodka <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> good point yeah you know some tragedies as well obviously as happens but overall you know she seems to have done pretty well for herself and made good use of her amazing wealth was this a fictionalized biography or was it a straight up biography. No, no, it was fictionalized. Okay. Yeah, if it had been, I, th I think I need to stick to like the regular biographies because I want to know, okay, is this real? Like how much of this do you know? How much of this are you just making up? And it's written as a memoir. Mm. So it's, this is what I thought. And I went and did this. It's like, well, I mean, nobody knows that. <laughs> and that kind of annoys me. But her life is super interesting. And one of her yachts, it got bought by uh, a a sailing company so you can go on a cruise like you can cruise the mediterranean in her 300 foot yacht sailing ship very cool 
I have wanted to do that, I will say. The next one was Georgie All Along by Kate Claiborne. This is the second book of hers I read. She wrote Love Lettering, which was really sweet. This one was also really sweet. It is a romance. Georgie is, I think, in her early 30s, and she's been living in L.A. working as a personal assistant for a famous Hollywood writer who decides to retire and go live with her husband in New Mexico. And so Georgie is out of a job, and her boss tells her, you need to figure out what you really want. You've been doing all this stuff for me. What do you want to do? At the same time, Georgie's childhood best friend has moved back to their hometown with her husband. Uh, They're expecting their first child. And she asked Georgie to come back and kind of help her get her new house organized and get ready for the baby. And since Georgie doesn't have a job, she figures, sure. When they are cleaning things up, they find a journal that they kept right before they started high school. And it was kind of a list of plans of all the exciting things they wanted to do when they were in high school. So, you know, go to the dock and jump off like all the big kids do and, you know, go to this fancy shopping district in the next town over and, you know, things that kids want to do. And Georgie realizes that at this point in her life, she had plans for herself and she feels like maybe if she does some of these things, she'll figure out what she wants to do with her life now. So she has this whole plan to do that. She also, through a series of events that I'm not going to explain, meets the older brother of the guy she had a crush on in high school. The older brother was kind of the bad boy in the town, black sheep in the family, but he's really nice. And they end up get hitting it off. And he offers to help her do some of the adventures to accompany her. Sparks fly, shenanigans ensue. There's ups, there's downs. As I said, it's really sweet. Definitely ventures in a little bit into the Hallmark movie women's fiction kind of genre. Not quite as much snap as I usually like in my romances, but really beautifully drawn characters, very realistic feeling. They do have an actual problem that temporarily keeps them apart. There's always something in a romance towards the end that tears them apart. And often it's just, we didn't talk to each other about something, (laughs) which is something a lot of people criticize about the genre. This was an actual problem, things they really did have to figure out and come to an agreement about. There's an adorable dog. Georgie's parents are kind of wacky but wise in a really sweet way. It was just a really nice book. There's, you know, some tearjerker moments as well. So definitely a nice summer relaxed kind of read. And as for Noose by Sue Grafton, listen to it. Another great one. Kinsey uh, is asked by a woman whose husband has recently died to figure out what was going on right before he died. He just he was a small town cop and had a heart attack by the side of the road. Nothing suspicious about that. But in the weeks before he passed, he had been kind of grumpy and it really seemed like there was something on his mind, but he wasn't talking to her about it. And she wants closure. So Kinsey, please look into what was going on. So this was another one of the slow burn ones. You don't know what's going on. Kinsey doesn't know what's going on. Things get weird. And, uh, you know, obviously we know something was going on because we wouldn't be having this book if there wasn't. But I really like the the slow burn one she has. Um, this one got a little creepy and intense at times. I really enjoyed it. Good ending, good mystery. And I am on to the next one at the moment. And then my other audiobook, Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt, which is a Courtney recommendation. This is the one with the octopus. Tova is in her 70s and she's working at the local aquarium north of Seattle in Washington. Small town, she's lived there her whole life. 
her husband passed away a few years ago. Her only child died 30 years ago, right before he started college. And her friends are getting older and moving away. But she kind of strikes up this friendship with the octopus, who is also a character and he does part of the narration, which was delightful. Did you listen to it or did Mm -hmm. you? Yeah. I was kind of confused about the octopus's accent. I will say it sounded a little British and he's a great Pacific octopus. That didn't fully make sense to me. But the lady who does Tova, I've listened to some other stuff from her. She did Nothing to See Here, the Exploding Children one. And I really like her, her reading as well. And then our other main character is Cameron, who grows up in the Central Valley of California. He's 30. He's kind of a mess. He's not quite gotten his life together for various reasons, but also just he hasn't. He ends up flying to Seattle to look for his dad. Buys a camper, gets a job, gets involved in the community. It's just a really sweet book with cool creatures, and the octopus is hilarious. He's a star. He is a star. Marcellus the octopus. It was very nice. I enjoyed that one as well, and the audio was a really good way to experience that one. Okay, then I've got a couple of weird books. (laughs) So these might be my my different genres because they're very literary. The first one is A Heart So White by Javier Marias, translated by Margaret Jewel Costa from the Spanish. This one I picked up because my cousin's book club read it. And it was the favorite book by the favorite author of one of the women in the group. And she's a native Spanish speaker. So I figured that was pretty cool recommendation. I am still trying to read more books in translation. So I figured this was a a good one to jump into. She said they had a really great conversation in their group about it as well. It starts off rather dramatically. A young woman has just gotten back from her honeymoon. And she's at a family luncheon and she gets up and goes in the bathroom and kills herself. Nobody knows why. And then the book picks up about 35 years later. The son of her widower is now on his own honeymoon. He is our narrator from then on. It's a little bit Virginia Woolfie and internal monologue and he's pondering things. There's not exactly a plot. There are events. And yet... It keeps building and you can feel it building to something and you're not sure what. And it's not entirely unexpected, but still pretty surprising when you get there. Yeah, it was it was a trip, I would say. Each chapter is kind of a different event in his life. He's thinking a lot about, I mean, his own relationship with his wife, what marriage means, uh, his father's relationships, because he had a couple of wives, obviously. The narrator is for his job is a translator and interpreter. So um, he thinks a lot about words and what we say and what we don't say and things we know and how much do we want to know about the past and even our present. There was a lot going on. The writing was really beautiful. It's, It's slow. It is not, it's not moving forward at a quick pace. But as I said, it's definitely, you can feel it going somewhere. And each of the events are pretty powerful on their own. I was thinking about getting my book club to read it this year. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do it, but definitely one to check out if you are looking for a a pretty intense read, Um, but lots of stuff to talk about, I think. And then my second weird one (laughs) was Study for Obedience by Sarah Bernstein, which is on the Booker Prize shortlist for this year. It was a nice little short one and had a bird on the cover. So that's why I picked it up. (laughs) It is, to be fair, to warn you, a dead bird, but it's still a bird. So it is a story of a young woman 
who goes to live with her brother to be kind of his housekeeper. There's just this creeping sense of dread when she arrives. They're kind of, they're out in the country. Her brother lives in like the manor house. It's modern though. You know, it takes place now. It's not like a historical novel. The villagers are kind of suspicious. A lot of weird things start happening with the animals. The cows all go crazy. A dog has a phantom pregnancy. Just weird things. And it, it was it was strange and compelling. And I'm honestly not sure what was happening. But it was kind of creepy. In a good way. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, the writing was really cool. It was, again, that kind of internal thought process. So I'm still not sure how I feel about it, but it was intriguing. So I'm glad I'm glad that I read that one. Another creepy one. I don't know why. Like, I went from I, went for, I was on this dark book kick still. Silver Nitrate by Silvia Moreno Garcia of Mexican Gothic. This one takes place in Mexico City in the mid 90s. So really cool there. In the movie studio realm, Montserrat is, uh, she does sound design for films or sound editing. Her best friend Tristan was a soap opera star for a while, and his career kind of took a nosedive when he got in a car accident with his then girlfriend, and she died. Her dad was like a studio head and spread rumors that it was all Tristan's fault. So they've been kind of struggling along. Tristan moves to a new apartment and his neighbor is an old time horror movie director who his final movie was never completed. And he believes that because it wasn't completed, there's a curse on him and everybody else that was in the film involved with the film. And so he asks the two of them if they will help him complete it to hopefully remove the curse and things will be great for everyone. Does not quite go that way definitely dark and creepy. I probably could have read it before bedtime. I didn't just because I didn't know how creepy it would, it would get. She is probably at the outer limits of my my comfort with the horror genre. But her writing is just so great. Her sense of place is really cool. Because it was the mid 90s. NAFTA had just started. So like they were starting to get all this American culture coming in or more so. So that was kind of an interesting place. And, and as they're reflecting on the changes and the whole the movie studio because I had read that other book about a Mexican actress in Hollywood, so that was a little bit of back and forth. And then there was another one that I read by Niveau where the whole magic being imbued in film. So lots of cool callbacks to other things I had read, and I just really like her writing style. So that was thumbs up as well. And then finally, Crook Manifesto by Colson Whitehead. I mean, the man's just a genius. That's that's all there is to it. This is the follow up to Harlem Shuffle. Very similar, except it takes place in Harlem in the 70s. I think the other one was the 60s. New York is still falling apart. Police corruption, blah, blah, blah. Three kind of separate vignettes that connect. Ray Carney is, uh, he owns a furniture store in Harlem and he's been doing very well. His kids are in high school now. Still loves his wife. His dad was a crook and everybody knows that. Ray has kind of gone back and forth being kind of a low level <laughs> crooked person, but he keeps getting drawn back. And so things happen. The stories are sort of interrelated and it all wraps up at the end. It's just, I think I enjoyed this one even more because I knew what to expect. Underground Railroad is such an intense, heavy book. 
These are not that, but a lot of intense stuff happens, but there's also a lot of humor. The second story starts off with, it was a glorious June morning. The sun was shining, the birds were singing, the ambulances were screaming, and the daylight falling on last night's crime scenes made the blood twinkle like dew in a green heaven. (laughs) So if that sounds intriguing to you, definitely check it out. I don't think you have to have read the first one. They're pretty separate. It's a, there's a couple of references, but not anything absolutely necessary. I mean, it is a fantastic book as well, so you probably do want to read it, but you can read this on its own. Whew. That's a pile. It is. Mm-hmm. Good stack. What you got? I have a bunch for you. I was doing some organizing around the house, and I listened to The Absent One by UC Adler Olson. He's a Scandinavian writer, and he writes psychological murder you know, Scandinavian. They're dark. Is he Norwegian? I think he's Danish. Okay. I need a Norwegian book. Oh, I can help you with that. Okay. I have read other work by him and I have enjoyed it. I think some of his are sort of clever, somewhat grisly murder stories. This one was particularly difficult for me and I did skip over several portions of it because there is some really terrible subject matter that I don't want to listen to. So it's a a disturbing gang of rich boarding school kids who have now aged and they're people of influence. They have spent a lifetime, like since boarding school, torturing and tormenting each other in terrible ways. And it really veers into like Stieg Larsson territory. So it's not pleasant. Because they're all so well-connected, the only way to bring it to a head is for basically for them to attack each other. There's like a hunt, you know, because people have big properties and they hunt and... Just kind of set them up in a Hunger Games? Yeah, it is. (laughs) That's a great description. Monica is so much better than me at describing what actually happens in a book because, because of how my brain works, I feel like... A book imprints itself on me, and what I'm left with is what I tell you about. And sometimes the plot is sort of irrelevant for how it made me feel, because I am me. I am weird like that. So that was the absent one, really grisly. Not your favorite of that author's works. No. Then I read Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. I read this one for my book group, which the gang's back together, which is nice. Our kids are still in varying stages of going off to college, so we do what we can. Had you not read that yet? No, I hadn't. I had definitely started it, and maybe it it became due at the library, and I felt like, I'm not into it. I'll save it. So I circled back around on this one, and I... Okay, so my history with her writing is I absolutely loved Station Eleven, like one of my favorite books for several years running. Then The Glass Hotel was not totally a win for me, but I still appreciate her writing. And then this one, which they're all sort of, they all have little threads, like characters come back through. All of her books are connected. And I'm not quite sure how to describe this one because it left more of an impression. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. So this is... You can always check back and find my review if you want a plot summary. And if we were really good, we would know which episode that was and insert it here, but we're not. So this is 
chiefly the story of Gaspare and his sister Zoe, who live in future times, if you will. And they live in like out in space <laughs> in a orb <laughs> that has some technology that's interesting to people who are into that thing. But to me, it sounds terrifying. So Gaspare hasn't yet like found his purpose in life. And his sister is super smart, apparently. And she works for the Time Bureau. I think that's what it's called. And he gets wind that maybe he could work for the Time Bureau too. And so they send him back in time to a couple different spots to investigate this fissure in the time continuum. I can't even believe I'm saying these words sometimes. <laughs> so there's a character who's a, a British kind of aristocrat who's gone to find himself in the new world because he was the third son. And so he goes British Columbia. Makes That's his like way in the 1800s or like early 1900s, yeah. 1912 or something. And so that's one person that he gets to visit. And then he gets to visit Olive Llewellyn, who's a book author during pandemic times. And he he's not supposed to tell these people what's coming. He can't. So the thing about time travel is for me. There have to be like rules and consequences. And his rule is he's not allowed to tell them anything or... I mean, that's pretty standard. ...change the course of events. But there's also no cost to him. When he comes back from these trips, it's not like he's super jet lagged or anything. I don't know. I think there should be more rules. All to say, <laughs> there's a lot of time jumping back and forth for Gaspari. And then he meets Vincent, who is in the, the previous three books... And she she has such a brief moment in this book that their their points, the points of connection that he has with these people is very important, I feel, for maybe the fourth book. I don't know that for sure. This is me projecting into the future. Okay. It's a it's a lot of time travel. If you're into that kind of thing, check out Sea of Tranquility. That's funny because I don't think of it as a time travel book what yeah i don't i mean i guess because i've read more kind of straight sci-fi and yeah it's hard for me for me i think for me it was more about the characters and the relationships and and less the time travel was just a a thing and this is the book i think she wrote during the pandemic so i think the the author character is a little bit based on her experiences and she just was kind of it was a little bit of a self-help book to kind of get some of her experiences out there. And I know, and this is her most recent book, right? She hasn't had anything no. new since, yeah. So the only time travel book that I've ever really liked was the Kate Atkinson one. Oh, Life After Life? Yes. Oh. So Life After Life, I'm going to take a little detour here and time travel back to when I read that book and remind people that that character gets to go back and do her own life over and over again until she figures it out. That I appreciate. What's happening in this book was problematic for me because mm. I couldn't figure out why that glitch was important. Okay. Well, I think that's the plot, isn't it? 
Onwards. Onwards in time. Then I read Bewilderment by Richard Powers. One of my favorite books of all time is Overstory, which was all about the trees. This is all about very interesting humans. Theo, who is an astrobiologist, and his son, Robin. And Robin has some challenges. They've lost their beloved wife and mother, Allie. Theo is really trying to help him navigate the world without her and with a particular set of challenges. This is a a really weird book that I, I loved for certain reasons and I have challenges with in other realms, literally. So Robin is delightful for the most part. He draws birds. He is really into the natural world, but he also knows that we are wrecking it. And so does his father. And his father, the astrobiologist, is looking at space and has a device that imagines what other planets might be like. And that was kind of hard for my brain. It's a pretty slim novel. The impression that it left on me was that it's more about human frailty and what we're doing to our planet. And then my last book is a super interesting novel called The Weaver and the Witch Queen by Genevieve Gornicek. This is 10th century Norway. All right, then. With Gunhild, Odni, and Signy. Odni and Signy are sisters, and Gunhild is a friend in their same village, and they are sworn sisters. But there is a prophecy that their lives are intertwined forever. There is a lot going on in this book because, you know, 10th century Norway means some boat trips and some battles and witch stuff. Awesome. I was totally into it. It was, it's a historical fantasy. There is one sort of ambiguous LGBTQ character that is, it's no big deal. It's just how that character presents and everybody is fine with it. And I really appreciated that. I loved these strong women characters they have a lot of work to do to like get their powers up to speed to fight this other I, I don't know how to do the plot stuff. <laughs> the impression that it left on me was one of like sisterhood and girls helping each other, women helping each other when their important female role models aren't there to guide them the rest of the way. Oh, she wrote The Witch's Heart. I liked that one. I want to read more of her stuff. Yeah, it was, that was a good one. That I'm ending here because it was delightful. Excellent. Is she Norwegian though? I need a book in translation. Ugh. I could pretend. Anyway, we'll look that up later. Oh, Kristen Lovren's daughter. No, that might be Swedish. No, nope, that's Norwegian. Is it? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Have you read okay. that? No, I I know. Yeah. My best friend in high school gave it to me for my birthday one year because she's like, obviously you're gonna love this, and I never read it wrong i think maybe i started it i don't know i don't you, I, like it's 100 percent a me book i don't know why i never stop everything <laughs> and find your way to Kristen lovren's daughter all right okay bingo we're almost here people it ends monday by the time this is released it will be over hopefully you all have finished uh, i mean you have because i've been looking at all the entries and there's so many hooray so many. especially this past couple of weeks you guys are finishing strong i did pretty good too 
I'm counting my dark academia for my finishing a work in progress. I have my Courtney recommendation with remarkably bright creatures and my bird book study for obedience. I didn't think I was going to make that one happen, but I did. And the one I really need to do still is the epic breakfast brunch, which three day weekend obviously can happen. I just need to actually make it. We'll see. I get myself up or not. How about you? Okay. I had two squares remaining. I pickled a whole bunch of bell peppers, which counts for my preserving because they're now in my fridge for at least a couple weeks. And while they are very vinegary, they're still pretty delightful. Cool. Yeah. I sort of have like read a different genre. I sort of feel I have a couple of books that could kind of work for that because they're my weird <laughs> literary books. Teach someone how to. I had the thing with the that I'm not entirely happy with, with teaching my kid what the registration is for your car. Um, try a new to you vegetable dish. I know I've been making, I mean, I, I generally make new recipes and I make a lot of vegetable things. So I have any number of things that I could pick. I just haven't officially chosen one. So I might, I might get there this year. I'm kind of excited. But yeah, you guys have been doing some amazing things. I almost am gonna try and blast through some of these because there are so many cool things i was like oh i don't have to talk about all this but i kind of want to so on instagram laney knits 13 uh, i think it was a knit fancy hen it was very fancy and awesome and she got a bingo penny gale posted a little story real i forget what they're called of her vacation crafting uh with knitting in iceland which looked Yay. awesome i think she was on an old airplane it was pretty cool hockey rachel had this amazing picture of all the dill pickles that she pickled. <laughs> J Pearl 05 almost is at a blackout. So hopefully we'll see a final blackout post, but she definitely has many, many bingos. Penny Gale read a book about someplace you want to visit, which was Scotland and London, which I think that sounds great. Pam Mayer got a bingo and posted a couple of pictures with this gorgeous summer lace cardigan like short sleeves really open work lace gorgeous green color it was amazing she made a fig cake from scratch and fig preserves which also looked lovely and she spun yarn in colorway was parakeet which so that was her bird themed crafting and it was this beautiful blue green i really was like ooh, i want that that is so fun yeah Recreates got a bingo and had in her photo um, looked like crocheting with beads. I'm not quite sure what that was going to be, but it looked really interesting. RKO Knit got a bingo and had a, some pictures of some of her things, including a Venus Rising shawl, which is in this beautiful gray. She's a llama quilt, which was adorable. And she knit a bird hat. It was like a color work with the birds, which was amazing. Tender MN. Got a bingo, and she did her first knit-along, which I thought was super cool. That had some good and bad points, which is true of any knit-along, but super cool to finally do that and make it work for you. And Rushworks got a bingo as well. And then a couple of the notes from the Ravelry thread. Laura LH05 had two bingos, and her pizza your way was uh, like store-bought flatbread, but topping it with mashed avocado and pickled vegetables, which... Yep, not something I would ever have thought of, but sounds delicious. Yeah, totally. The flatbread is a great idea. Right? So easy. Hockey Rachel got a blackout and a bird-themed um, entry, so that was cool. 
Reverie got a bingo. She had a beautiful shawl on there. She taught someone how to post their pattern to Ravelry, <laughs> which is super cool. And it's this really adorable sock pattern, which she also knit. So we are all very thankful that she taught that person. Maybe you should teach me how to just comment on Ravelry. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. That'd be good. And then she made the New York Times buttery breakfast casserole, which involves Yum. using croissants as your Ugh. bread base, which that sounds amazing. Suna got a bird themed entry and a blackout. Birdette got a bird themed entry and a bingo. Her crafting was mittens and the colorway was from Fiber Nymph Dye Works in the Lady Cardinal colorway, which is from the 2022 backyard birds club which i'm sorry i missed that because that sounds amazing it was really cute like red and gray and black and then a little pop of orange it was really beautiful and then wise09 got some more bingos and she's been teaching her kid to read this summer so that's a pretty awesome thing to teach people yeah yeah so so many good entries i fully expect i will see a few more in the next couple of days over the weekend because there are there are a lot of you that are super close to blackouts and that is an extra entry and then now we're going to jump. Ooh, time travel. <laughs> Here we go, people. I'm going to do the prize draw. Hello, everyone. It is time to announce the winners. As I just said a few days ago, but now I actually have done the prize draw. I want to say it was very exciting. I knew or I felt like we definitely had a lot more people participating, but we had three times as many entries as we did last year. So a lot of people, a lot more people got blackouts and we just had a lot more people participating, which is super, super exciting. So what you want to hear is who won. So for our bird themed prize, the winner of that was Burdette with her entry on Ravelry. So congratulations. Hooray, hooray. And our big winner was Recreates with her entry from Instagram. So for our winners, if you can PM me or DM me, (laughs) depending on if you're on Ravelry or on Instagram, and let us know your snail mail address so that we can get your prizes in the mail as soon as possible. Thanks again, everyone. Uh, It's been a super exciting summer. And well, we'll keep chatting, but we'll see you for bingo next year. All right. Yay. Hooray. Exciting. So Thanks exciting. Thanks again to everyone who participated. It brings us so much joy, especially because the list is big. I'm just so happy to see so many people participating. That's yeah, awesome. And sharing ideas and giving us ideas for next year. And yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been another fun summer. I can't believe it's over. <sighs> fall. Yay. Fall. Fall's exciting. Lots of good things happening in fall. But until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or Courtney SF. That's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.